What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Not Rocket Science, the podcast slash show talking everything about the intersectional relationship between business, technology, and culture. How are you guys doing? How are you guys doing on this, for me, Monday, September 9th? It is a crispy day here in New York City. Um... Definitely starting to get a little inkling of that fall weather, particularly at night. Uh, Not into it. Hate fall. Hate winter. Anytime where the temperature is decreasing, but it's uh, less than like 94 degrees, no bueno. Um, But I'm weird like that. Most people love fall. And it's not the worst this time of year. November is another story, but right now it's not so bad. Can't complain about weather in the 70s, but I just know what's coming up. I know what's coming around that bend, and me no likey. Um, anyway, besides that, um, got sick, got sick, so I'm a little under the weather, but uh, coming out of it now, so hopefully I don't sound too ridiculous. Um, didn't even make it a week, though, from vacation before uh, getting the cold, cough, sore throat thing, so... Yeah, but we shall power through and overcome. Um, Saw It 2 over the weekend. Interesting movie. Uh, Really long, really long. Not There was one section of the movie that was kind of scary, but overall not too scary, but a good movie. Good movie. Bill Hader makes the movie. Um, He did a really good job. I mean, all the actors did a really good job. Uh, Jessica Chastain, I think she's in it, right? James McAvoy, they're all good. It was good. It's worth seeing, but I'm more hyped for that Joker movie. Anyway, so that's basically what's been going on with me. Just getting over this cough, going over to the the theater for a night of cinema, even though I was sick, but I went to Alamo Draft House, so I got them tickets in advance with the reserved seating, and we always do front row. If you go to Alamo Draft House... Always do the front row because you got the recliner lazy boys. Uh, so key. Um, but I digress. Anyway, let's get this show on the road, shall we? Um, what are we talking about today? So I've kind of been binge watching some things on YouTube. And one thing I like to do, because as Americans... Sometimes we tend to have this because so much is going on in the United States. It's such a large country. We tend to have this uh, uh, tunnel vision when it comes to thinking the world kind of revolves around us. And we're just seeing things in our world. I don't know if tunnel vision is actually the right word for this. But basically this contained vision where everything's happening in the United States and we never really... um, 
seek perspective from other countries. And I try to combat this by watching BBC or going to BBC for news, trying to learn Spanish, um, things like that. But I started binge watching, and this happens every, I don't know, maybe like seven months or so. But I go in these binge watching sessions where it's people like interviewing people in other countries, English speaking countries like Australia, New Zealand, England, Scotland, etc. And they interview them on American culture, um, American slang, things like that. And uh, it's really interesting to get that kind of outside perspective culturally, just when it comes to America in general. I mean, some of it's not too interesting. A lot of the stereotypes persist heavy, like how everyone in the United States likes to, you know, just eat cheeseburgers and French fries and supersized drinks and everything. And, you know, that's kind of stale. You know, everyone talks about Trump, et cetera, of course. But, but what was really interesting to me is when I stumble upon videos where they talk about um, language and they talk about words or slang that it's basically two ways of saying the same thing, um, like gas, petrol, or like a uh, ground floor to lobby, or even motorway, expressway, or highway, um, chips, french fries, the list goes on. But anyway, I fall into the rabbit hole of watching these kinds of videos, and then also cultural things like British people watching Thanksgiving and or talking about things like spring break. And it's just interesting to get kind of that outside perspective. And while I was kind of within the same week of watching those types of videos, I also have been studying up on like e-commerce these days. And, you know, because I did a little bit of uh, research when it came to the whole drop shipping craze of a few years ago. That was a big deal. So I was, I remember watching videos on that and being like, this is stupid. I don't want to like sell some crap product from Alibaba or AliExpress and, uh, you know, hope my stupid rose gold plastic cups sell and, you know, waste all this time setting up my store and everything like that. But I feel like things have changed in that world. They've matured a little bit since those days. And I work for a large-scale e-commerce company regularly anyway. Um, It's part of my day job. So I'm very much in tune with like e-commerce as a business model in general. Um, But when you're one person in a huge eight-figure company, it's very different than running your own project and also understanding the platforms like the Shopify's and all the plugins and um, uh, the inventory management tools out there like Oberlo and things like that. And Shopify has been kind of killing it lately in the past couple of years. So I like to keep up on what they're doing and trying to figure out really the future of e-commerce as a uh, as an entrepreneur or as a just single entity, single person trying to run a business by themselves, what that's looking like. Um, so, yeah, I really jumped back into the fold with that, too, studying up on those types of videos on YouTube from certain e-commerce accounts. And it was interesting watch the there's this kind of uh thread of commonality between these language videos i was watching um you know culture clash if you will and these e-commerce videos that i was watching on how to set up your store best practices um store uh 
heuristic evaluation reviews, things like that. Sounds kind of hippy-dippy and far-fetched. Bear with me. Bear with me. It will all make sense in a second. So, I do user experience design for e-commerce. It's kind of my day-to-day. What that means is I perform research, analysis, testing on various designs that I come up with based on past research and testing to help validate that we're doing the right decision to make the experience of coming on to my company's store, shopping for products, and checking out as easy as possible, while at the same time thinking about the business, thinking about the big needs of the business, whether it's driving more orders. Um, In my particular business, which is food, this is very tough, but in other e-commerce businesses, driving the AOV. AOV stands for average order value, so... Everyone, everyone who places an order, the average of how much money they spent on products per order, basically. That's what AOV is. Um, re- driving retention, driving acquisition, etc. Whatever it may be. Whatever the main KPIs are. Ugh, this is sounding way more business jargony than I was hoping. But um, sometimes when you're just vibing, this stuff just comes out. You know, I don't like it. There has to be better jargon than stuff like KPIs, but it's the easiest thing to say. That's why so many people say it. Anyway, back to the point. So I do this day to day, but the perspective that I be coming from when it comes to this is what's best for the customer. What is best for them? I get we have to sneak in some stuff for the business because, you know, we have jobs and none of this matters if we aren't helping the business, but... In my section of the business, in my department, our focus is on the user, the customer, the person on our website shopping around, right? That's our priority. So what's interesting to me was when I was watching these um, e-com videos, I was seeing a ton of overlap in terms of best practices, um, when it comes to going to a Shopify store, how you lay out your homepage, how you lay out your product pages, how you differentiate your product pages from other stores' product pages that also do this, you know, AliExpress drop shipping model. Um, a lot of the critiques that I saw have to do with the fact that a lot of people are lazy and they don't mess with the content they just poured over the same content that's on aliexpress which is a chinese website by the way and just throw it on their brand new shopify site and say come on people buy this five dollar aztec pattern bikini that i'm marking up for 35 bucks come on come all you know what i mean and that just doesn't work so then what I see these marketers doing these e-com videos on YouTube doing is they'll go to really good e-commerce websites like uh, like Allbirds, the you know the shoes, and they'll go through that entire website and point out all the good things that all that Allbirds is doing, and a lot of it is the same thing that a user experience designer person would go in if they were to do an audit from the UX perspective, they would be calling out a lot of the same things but they'd be doing it through a different lens. And what I mean by that is they'll be talking about content hierarchy. They'll talk about what's the most important thing on this page. 
and then design around that most important thing to make it contrast from all the other content. You know, how you lay out your page, how do you how do you show off whatever so if there's copy, right, to explain the value of the product, how do you make that stand out above everything else on the page? How do you do quote unquote clean layouts? Um, you know, and that's all based on design fundamentals, layout composition, rhythm, typography, contrast, you know, these kinds of things. Um, but when you look at the marketing uh, analysis videos, they're saying a lot of the same things, but they're talking about how do you get the customer to buy this thing? And they'll say, you know, clean design, but they'll talk about, for example, social proof being a big deal and, you know, it's the psychology of customers needing that um, sense of community to make a purchasing decision. Social proof is also found in UX. And now social proof is kind of manipulated and it's not as big deal as it was maybe five years ago, six years ago. But the point being is it's two things that from a user standpoint is important, but also from a marketing standpoint is important because of their understanding of the psychology of the customer. Other things include if you have a product that is seemingly high in price, right? Somewhere it's very important somewhere on your on your product detail page to explain why your price is what it is cuz people are going to have that judgment right away when they see what the price is. Um so for example, having a section that explains like the technology behind the product or something that lists out the benefits of the product in a way that is very easy to digest via the use of iconography back to Allbirds, you know, it has like the benefits of the Allbird Allbird shoes and it's like lightweight and breezy, minimizes odor, machine washable, helps your feet stay cool with cool little um line drawn icons that make everything really easy to digest from a snapshot point of view. That's all user experience design. Instead of writing all these things out in just a block of listed text, they took the time to kind of design this benefits section and they um, figured out a clever way to insert it into the product page without it seeming overwhelming or clunky or weird or against common convention when it comes to product detail page design. Other things even include animation, um, having scroll effects when you're scrolling, and having a clean layout of like um, different components, in the case of Allbirds, of the shoe and the materials, um, and using really kind of lightweight, inspiring, quote-unquote, copy that really narrates in the brand's voice and tone um, the story behind the shoe and the materials and why they're unique and all this stuff. So they really go deep into the design and layouts of these product pages um, when it comes to a best uh, practice type of video. And what's funny is just from my world, it's the exact same thing. The only difference is the overarching narrative on these videos is because this is what sells to customers where from our lens, it's more like, this is what makes it easy for a customer to understand what we're providing them. But that's about it. But essentially, it goes back to what I've been talking about on this podcast forever, where I have in my head this like yin and yang model when it comes to user experience or product design, if you want to call it that, 
and marketing, which is if you strip all the BS away, all the new technology, all the new hacks, all the new, you know, growth tactics, whatever, you just boil it down to the key intents of both practices. One is around persuading the user to do what the business entity wants them to do versus providing to the user so the business gives them what they want to do. That's the distinction. But in reality, it's kind of always the same thing. You, as a marketer, want to provide a good experience and you want to provide something that makes your brand stand out. And that folds right into what user experience design teams do, which leads me to the question of why so often are these two disciplines in larger companies so apart from one another? Like I remember working on teams where we had a marketing stakeholder, quote unquote, but that means every day we'd have a 10-minute stand-up and um, they'd kind of get on the same page. We'd have a couple meetings where they get on the same page, but we were never truly immersed. We never really sat down and looked at things as a team. It was more like communication um, and timing of campaigns and things like that. It wasn't like working together on anything. Um, they usually threw you like a super junior person. It was probably their first marketing job. And they're kind of like a point person between the two directors or the product manager and the marketing director. At least that's been in my experience. Currently, I work on a marketing team technically, but that's just due to organizational incoherence and not investing um, in product to being a bigger part of the company at my current place. But um, that being said, the fact that I sit around more marketers makes us naturally more immersed with one another and what we're doing. But we still suffer from the same things that I just mentioned where we're not truly working always together. We're working in the same area, but we're kind of separate in what we do and what we discuss, what we talk about. So I think there's even more opportunity for immersion between the fields of design for products and marketing i really think there's a massive potential like i don't know experiment put a product designer on a marketing team that pumps out um you know product pages let's say uh maybe even an intern because i don't think a senior designer would necessarily be into doing that but uh, or vice versa, put somebody who's a real like marketing whiz when it comes to e-commerce, you know, an e-commerce marketing specialist, put them on a dedicated product team. So you have that business need there because the problem sometimes when you come to designers is you're designing in a vacuum and you have access to data, but the data is also in a vacuum because all of it only pertains to your sector of the business, the thing that your product team owns. But sometimes what you're owning um, is just a slice or a sliver of the whole pie in terms of the business finances. And I know you don't always give your full business financials to the entire company, obviously. But what I mean is as far as what revenue, what market share a business is chasing. Sometimes if you're on a you know product team to building out this one feature on the site, it feels a little weird to be spending all this time on this one little sliver 
when you know that you're chasing all this other stuff as an enterprise. And I think that frustration doesn't really lie in everybody, but I think it's what kind of makes me a good slash bad employee. Because I'm always thinking about the full picture. I'm never just thinking about the little thing that I'm working on. And I think that hurts me maybe as an experienced designer, but helps me understand um, the full scale of the business, which maybe you know helps me have more of a full picture perspective um, when launching, if I launch my own business at some point, which I 110% will. But um, point being, before I went off in this little rant about my own dreams, pursuits, and frustrations, which is irrelevant to this topic, I think there is a way bigger opportunity for marketing and user experience to kind of hold hands and get a little more kumbaya with this shit. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? And I think these, it was just this weird thought that came into my head watching these language videos where it's like, it's almost like marketing and UX. It's like USA and Australia. It's just things are slightly different. Things are worded differently. The perspective different is different, but the meaning at the end of the day is the same thing, which is provide the best customer experience, whether it's your design, whether it's what you're offering, how you're offering it, your copy. And, you know, there's going to always going to be points of contention. Um, one that's always there is UX people hate things like cross-sells and upsells, but marketing people know how valuable they are sometimes maybe they're over relying on cross sells and upsells in e-commerce but um as a more ux rooted person i 100 percent see why it's important and i think it's really up to designers um to take responsibility to figure out the best way to execute cross sells and upsells uh because it's just to me it's like part of the basic package in e-commerce it's not if somebody asks you to have cross-sells and upsells, they're not asking for too much. Um, and some facts that I've heard on these videos are kind of mind-blowing. Like, for example, how Disneyland, like the Disney theme parks, um, out of all the revenue that Disney theme parks make, supposedly, according to Ezra Firestone, who's like a big-time e-commerce marketer guy, uh, I didn't really fact-check this, so maybe it's wrong, but this guy speaks at big conferences. I don't know. I'll take it at face value. But he said that of all of the yearly revenue that Disney parks make is not from ticket sales and things like that. It's all upsells. Would you like this with that? They have those bands, right? Those, those, I forget the names of them, but the bands you use and you get charged everything on the band. So you're not thinking about price. And I mean, that was a huge moneymaker for them. And you include all the upsells within that, that wristband that you wear. And supposedly 49% of all revenue that those parks make are from upsells, not from uh, people having the intent to buy something necessarily. So getting that like skip the line package, things like that, which is crazy because that's like half Half the revenue comes from things that people didn't even go into the purchasing experience with the intention of doing, which to me ultimately begs the question, what is user or customer intent? Like, what is that? 
obviously they're coming to your service to do something, but does that mean they only want to do that one thing and get out? And is it bad to, you know, promote them doing something else that might be relevant to them? I mean, that's what cross-sells and upsells are. But, like, to me, I feel like customers have an intent, but their intent's, like, solely based on acquiring perceived value in their minds at what they consider to be a fair price. So if they're introduced to new things that they also deem as value that's also fairly priced, then you're still delivering on their intent, even if you introduce something new that they didn't think about going in. Um, is this bad or immoral? I don't think so, but I don't know. It's an interesting question when it comes to ethics. Um, but I think most people, you know, they're big boys. If you're a 13-year-old using your parents' credit card and getting sucked into this, it's kind of bad. I mean, but if you're a 31- or 32-year-old and Amazon Prime gets you with something, it's kind of on you, bro. It's kind of on you. I don't. I can't really blame the company for that. We got to take responsibility for our own decisions at some point, right? Anyway, that's all I really wanted to get to today. But it was weird, this weird parallel in my YouTube binging sessions this week between e-commerce and language learning and different cultures and different slang meaning for the same word. There's this weird parallel that I wanted to talk about today. And hopefully that thread of commonality that I mentioned at the beginning of the show was carried through on some level. Or I'm just a wacko. Who knows? Anyway, um, if you like the show at all, even if you're kind of meh about the show, uh, always appreciate an App Store review. Um, also, if you have any questions or comments, you can always hit us up at NRS underscore show on Twitter or Instagram. And yeah, that's it. That is it for this week. I'm going to go eat some soup, blow my nose, take it easy. Hope you guys take it easy too. Have a good one. Thanks again and peace.